Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone. Uh, Happy New Year. My name is Mo and I am an alcoholic, uh, an addict. <laughs> Before I start, I'd like to welcome Renee, Roddy, Tina, Bob, Tracy, and myself to this meeting for the first time. And I'm very, very honored and happy to be here today. Deja and uh, Renee, congratulations. That's outstanding. Great to see everyone. Um, as I said, my name is Mo and I am 65 years old and I have two kids, two daughters, and both of them are uh, grown, they're grown up and, they, and they, are, they have a job, they're very successful and I am very lucky to have them. And I've been married for, uh, now it's going to be 41, day, 41 years. <laughs> and uh, I always say it, I don't know what's, what's with uh, drug addicts and drunks that we end up with the greatest or the best partners in life i don't know they just look for trouble or what you know mine is one of them she is a great lady she's been putting up with a lot of crap that i put her through and uh, i don't know if i would have put up with me but she has done that and i'm very grateful for that uh, there are uh, a few things that i like to emphasize the uh, first uh, I like to say that, you know, I'm always, what I learned about this program, be grateful, be humble, and be yourself. And these are the three things that I try to practice every day. Uh, I am, uh, I was born in Iran. Uh, I started my, uh, I had ADD, ADHD, and uh, mild dyslexia, but it wasn't detected. And I went undiagnosed for a long time. And uh, uh, having those things, is, I think it started, that was the base of my depression from the get-go. And that was the base of starting my drugging and drinking. Uh, I started to smoke cigarettes at the age of seven. I remember the first time I, it was, you know, my head was all over. But somehow right after that, I had this calm feeling. And I said, wow. This is good. So I kept smoking until age 11, which I was introduced to opium. I am from Iran. And if you are, uh, opium is uh, socially accepted for the older people, particularly over 60 years. They think that, you know, they should smoke a little bit of opium every day. They say, well, their bones hurting, all that are crap. It's bullshit. They just want to get high. That's what the bottom line is. And uh, but I, I started at the age eleven. At the age fourteen, I started to uh, to drink. And my oh my, once I did drinking, first of all, opium is just it's it's its own. You know, it's uh, 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 I think that's uh, that's the the worst mistress that I had in my life, opiates. Because I still, there are a lot of people, they say that, you know, I don't know if I have one more addiction in me or one more drink in me. That's a bunch of, for me, it's a bunch of bullshit. I have a lot of them in me. As long as I can stay alive, I will do it. But today, my, the biggest problem that I have, those consequences, I am sick and tired of, people say they are sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of lying to myself. And that's what I was doing. I always thought that I'm, I'm, it makes me happy. Yes, it was very momentarily. And then I had to just keep doing, doing, doing. At the, it got to the point, at some point, it just didn't work. 
So when I started to drink, I, it was a totally different feelings. And I said, wow, now I really arrived. I started to do it more and more during the high school year. Then I was introduced to hash. Now you are getting paranoid. You want to bring yourself down. You smoke opium. Then you want to be, you know, a little bit uh, bullish. You know what you do? You you drink. So it was a roller coaster all the way through high school. Uh, in order for me to get out of the country, I had to go through two years mandatory army, which I did. I went there for two years. The only time that I remember, there are a few times that maybe between six to eight months, maybe to eleven months, that I didn't drink or drug since I, made, I was 11 years old. The six months, the first six months was that I was in the uh, booth camp in the army that I didn't smoke or drink because I, you couldn't. Uh, then after that, it, uh, uh, I was working in a military hospital. It was the best place to be. So I started to do drugging and drinking until I decided to get out of the country. I, I went to Europe for a while. But I had an anchor in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, he's a physician, and he he worked at the University Hospital here, and also he did. Uh, he was an associate professor at Case Western Reserve University, which he taught. So I came here to visit him. It was 1978, 1979. Those of you who are a little bit older remember that uh, the revolution happened in Iran. So I couldn't go back. So I stayed here. I went to Kent State University, uh, which is a, uh, again, those of you who remember, and you are from the States. Uh, in 1970, there were four kids that they were against the Vietnam War and they were shot to death there. That's the school I went to. And, uh, that is a party school. And I, I really started to, it, it just progressed my drinking and drugging, but somehow I was functional. I could drink, I could drug, and I could function at the classes, barely to just pass with C's and B's and just get away until I graduated from college. Graduated from college, and that's it. My second year in college, I met my wife. And a few months later, we just decided to get married. And that's probably one of the best things happened to me up to that point. The second thing is, second and third thing are the birth of my two kids. Those are the things that I always cherish for as long as I'm alive. So uh, I started to work, you know, obviously there are a lot of, you know, stories of drinking and drugging in between. I'm just going to go, just get as quick as, as I can. Uh, go through all of them. I ended up to work in a custom house broker brokerage house after I graduated from college. And I worked there for, uh, for about a year and a half. <laughs> the funny part was that there was a bar right outside of where I worked. At 5.05, the bartender after a few weeks knew that, you know, what I'd like to drink. And he had a shot of vodka and a Heineken beer waiting for me. And that was so... Today, back then, I thought, oh, maybe I arrived. Maybe I'm a big shot. But it was sad. I'm thinking it was sad that the bartender realized that I'm an alcoholic. And he knew that, you know, better get me going. Because, you know, then I stayed there for about until 7, 7.30, go home. We didn't have any kids. We would go to dinner, maybe have a glass of wine or whatever, come back home. And my drinking and drugging started at probably about nine until midnight, one o'clock, go to sleep the same day, day after day after day. Uh, until I, uh, 
I decided not to work for that company. I started to have my own business. And it was back in the early 80s. I got into the IMTS, which it was back then. It was the mobile telephones that they put them in the trunk and they had, you know, we didn't have that many channels. And if you, some of you remember that, you know, the whole trunk of your car was taken by that transceiver. So that's what I was in. Uh, then the cell phone business came in and I, it really took off my business and I was very, very successful at, uh, uh, and now you have the money, you have the time and you can lie to your wife. You can lie to everyone. I had a meeting every night and that meeting was basically with my bother and with my drugs. But I was telling my wife that I have some sort of meetings, you know, I have salespeople coming to town and all of the crap. And, uh, uh, and she was kind enough, nice enough, not, she wasn't a gullible person, but she trusted me and I broke that trust. I didn't listen, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So uh, the business was good until uh, uh, 2004. I had a very bad accident. I almost died. I had this car accident. Uh, it was June 2nd, 2004. I never going to forget that day. Uh, uh, at that time, I had 28 locations. I had over 200 employees, you know, yada, yada, yada. Who cares about that? Because today I'm way happier than those days that I had all of those material crap that I had. Uh, in uh, as I was driving, uh, it was misty. It was raining a little bit, and I was uh, I'm a music buff. I was listening to music. Uh, to uh, all of a sudden, I heard this big noise. That's all I remember. Two weeks later, I woke up in a in a, in the university hospital in Cleveland, Ohio, and they said that uh, they said you know. I said, where am I? <laughs> I said, well, you've been talking. I don't remember anything. I lost my memory completely for two weeks. And then it started to come back at about 50%. And uh, now I am going through this bad case of depression. I can't, let's say I see Marsha. I remember Marsha's face, but I can't remember her name. I would just fake it, say, hey, how you doing? Until you know, someone said, Marsha, then I would start to say, hey, Marsha, how are you doing? So that was, and I remember my neurologist told me that I can't go to work. But the problem was for those of you who have businesses, I didn't have any succession plan. You know, I didn't have anybody behind me and I was it. I was, uh, and that was, I think that was a part of my ego that I wanted to be always in charge. You know, that, and that's something that uh, today I recommend to everyone that if you have a business, make sure that you have someone on the side that they're going to, you know, if something happened to you in case that they can take over. I didn't have anybody, so I had to go back to work. And uh, it got, you know, then I started to, I remember my, when I was in the hospital, my, uh, I met with a psychiatrist and uh, she became later on my pill doctor. So uh, she, and I started to say my back hurts, which it did, but it wasn't that bad. I started from Darvisit before I knew that. I graduated to Oxy30s. And I'm using those on a daily basis with drinking. And I remember uh, I used to put uh, a bottle of vodka in the freezer in our garage. And I would go in the morning before anybody wakes up, 
I would just fill it up with the glass, look like you know, I'm drinking some water. And I would start before anything else with, with a glass of vodka. And later on with you know, the drugs and, uh, and obviously with the pills. Uh, this went on and on until 2000. And my daughter graduated from high school. She did not want to have 2005. She did not want to have anything to do with me or where I was. She moved to New Mexico and she went to UNM, uh, which is a very nice school. And uh, she graduated in 2009. Uh, we had a Honda Pilot and she always liked that Honda Pilot. And she wanted, I said, okay, I'm gonna drive it to give it to you. And as she's there every three, four months, I'm driving and telling everyone, I'm going to see my daughter. I'm going to see Sarah. It wasn't going to see her. It was just going, you know, 16,000 miles that I could take about five, six days, be drinking, drugging and playing cards. And uh, uh, I think it was 2007, I went, uh, I was going through Route 40, which is that famous Route 66. Uh, and I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to this casino, they call it uh, Cherokee Casino. And I'm gambling, I'm talking, and uh, there was this big guy, and I was, you know, the cars were on my side, and I was winning. And at one point, he started to run his mouth. He made some fun of my accent. And I said, boy, why don't you start to put your pants on and take that skirt off? And that was it. This guy was a friend of the pit boss. So they talk, he went talk to him. They came in. And I had this little knife that I was peeling off my oranges. I love oranges. So, And he, uh, they, they said, in, uh, those, for those of you who don't know, in the reservations, which this casino was a part of that reservation outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, they do not have any police. They have sheriffs. They came in, they took me to the sheriff's office and they said that you are, you are under the arrest because you have a knife on you. You cannot have a knife in the casino on the reservation. I said, well, I have this little knife. They said, it doesn't matter. It was basically, there was they wanted to go to my room, which is a hotel, to go to see what I have. They go to my room, obviously I had a lot of paraphernalia, which they were not supposed to do it. Make the long story short, that, that mistake cost me almost $35,000 to go through the court and everything. And I had, a, uh, I had to put some money down, I did, and I walked out of there, but uh, it stayed on my record for almost seven years. So 2009, I'm taking the car to my daughter. So I said, you know what? I have this case in Oklahoma. I don't want to go through Oklahoma. I'm going to go from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm going to go through a little bit of, you know, go through Missouri, Kansas. And then I come about maybe about 20 miles. I stay in Oklahoma and then I'll be okay. And then I get to Texas. So I'm tired and I don't remember up to a few years ago that I went, that I ever, never went through that route without being drunk or high. So I'm driving, uh, I, I left, I, it was Kansas and I got close to uh, Oklahoma. I got to, I think it was Nebraska, I got to Oklahoma. There was about maybe 25 miles that I was in there. Then I saw this sign, it says Tex. It's Tex Oklahoma. it still is in Oklahoma, but I thought I'm in Texas. So I said, 
I came out, I went to this pantry, I'm talking crap. You know, you're high, you know, I'm high, I'm just not paying attention to anything. There was this young man uh, with his mother there and he saw, uh, I had the Cavaliers cap and he started to talk to the Cavs and they were at that time, those of you who are in the sports, they were winning and they were LeBron James, we start to talk. Uh, this lady was the, <laughs> was the neighbor of the sheriff for the, that little city of uh, Texahoma. She thought that I'm a brother of uh, Osama bin Laden with my accent. So she said, hey, son, let's go. They go to the home and I'm still there. I'm just running my mouth with the, with the attendant there. His name was Brandon. <laughs> and he started to talk that, hey, I hate this area. I'm a rocker. I'd like to go to bigger cities. I said, well, I'm going to... Uh, to Albuquerque, and if you want it, I'll be more than happy to take you there. And I know a few people, they maybe they can help you because my daughter at that time was studying uh, 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 in the arts and also filmmaking. So, and she had a few good uh, uh, people that she, they were from uh, Los Angeles and also New York. So I said, you know, I can help you. He said, well, my mother, and I said, well, hey, if it's your mother, I can't do anything about that. You need to stay with your mother. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is another mama's boy. So, and he said, hey, do you have, uh, and I was smelling like, like weed, you know, just was sitting in the car for about six, seven hours and smoking weed and doing all the other crap. You smell. So he said, man, you smell very good. Do you have anything? I said, yeah, I have some stuff in the car. As we are walking to go to my car to give him some weed, there are two cruisers that came like that, and this is my car. And they pretended that they go into the store. Long behold, that this lady goes to, to her, her neighbor and said, this guy who's troublemaker at that store. And this is very small, you know, city. It's just, you guys could Google that, takes a home. It's not that big of a city. So, uh, and they pretended that they're going to the store. The guy that I was, talking to he said mo just get the hell out of here i got in the car and i started to just i floored the gas and i see these lights behind me they're saying that you you know whatever you know honda pilot license plate whatever ohio pull over i said not today i'm not going to you know, have i have a pound of weed in my car i have an ounce, over an ounce of blow in my car i know that you know i'm going to go in oklahoma if you kill someone <laughs> you are you are less in trouble than if you have a pound of you know dope and uh, some coke in your car. So I said, done with that. I started to throw them away as you know as I'm driving. I see a, maybe two or three lights in front of me, that like police lights, and I knew that you know it's maybe it's a spike time and uh, Oklahoma is flat. So I didn't. I took my chances. I just went there. When I got close to it, I just went over on the shoulder. And I started to just thought, oh, maybe I got away with that. I saw a sign that says Texas. I said, well, my goodness, I'm glad that I'm in Texas. Now I'm going to be, at least if they catch me, I'm in Texas. They cannot do anything about me. I was absolutely wrong. It doesn't matter. When you start to flee and they follow you, you can go to five states and this, the same states that they started, they can follow you and they can catch you. And they called apparently Texas. And uh, all of a sudden I see a sea of lights. Uh, I said, oh, this is trouble. I got maybe close to four or 500 
feet and I started to hear this noise, bang, bang, bang. Uh, they were trying to shoot my gas tank. They had these sharp shooters that they were waiting for my ass to just, and it's very easy. If someone is running away from the law or running away from the police, it's better for them to blow you up because they can get away with say, hey, this guy was, was a criminal. He was running away. And, you know, it's very easy for the state and also for the city. They shot my car 13 times. Seven of them were in my gas tank. And I'm glad that I was driving a Honda because Honda, what they do, they put this plastic glass around the gas tank that if something happens, it's not like Chevy's that, they, that the car blows up. So uh, I remember this the short, you know, uh, CEO or whatever got to me and he pulled me out of the car. I've never felt pain like that in my life. This guy really had a day with me. They threw me on the ground. They started to kick me, you know, with the steel boots in my side, in my stomach, in my face. And finally, I got to the point, you know, I'm, I said, you know, I just got myself a little bit off. I said, shoot me, kill me. You know, I said, you know, it's better to be dead than being abused like this. They thought, you know, I'm some sort of crazy person. They, they picked me up and they coughed me. And uh, the way that they coughed me, uh, my left hand for, uh, it, it was basically blue and black for, for a while. Uh, I lost uh, touch with that. I had to go through physiotherapy until I got it, well, in about six months. Make the long story short, went through everything. And my daughter is graduating in two days. In Val uh, Valet Victoria. So, and I'm embarrassment to the whole family. Now I had to, now I don't have a car. I am in jail. They had to get my ass out of jail, put me in a Greyhound car, get me there to just be in my daughter's graduation. And instead of being embarrassed about that, I thought I'm a hot shit. I thought I'm, I'm a bad boy. I'm, I'm the one that arrived finally, that I'm almost killed myself. You know, stuff like that, that, you know, as an addict and as a drunk, I was feeling. So uh, went through that and she, she had to, she was so nervous that she, uh, I'm glad that she had, the fortitude that she gave a beautiful speech. And uh, uh, I remember everybody was crying, everybody was emotional, and I'm sitting like a, uh, like a lump there, you know? So uh, that comes down, you know, then uh, I drove, uh, I had to come back, they flew, you know, they wouldn't let me to drive a car. They say, you have to fly back. So I flew back, I came to Cleveland and it's still going on, and now, my, me and my uh, psychiatrist, we have a little business. She's writing six scripts a week for 120 oxy-30s and I'm paying her $600 a week. So she was, and this wasn't the first time she's done that. She was a few times in front of the uh, uh, pharmacy board and she got away with that. So on uh, December 17, 2012, the night before I'm out, I'm drinking, 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 drugging, and all of this stuff. My daughter came in about 10 o'clock in the morning, said, Dad, get up. There are some people waiting for you in the living room. 
I said, and I'm still, you know, high and I'm still drunk. I said, you know what, Dad, tell him to come back tomorrow. And I never forget, her face was white. She came in, she said, Dad, get up. There's, these people are want to see you. I said, okay, I walked into the living room. I see about eight officers there. And there's one of them has a white robe. He was from the pharmacy board that they've been following me for probably two, two and a half years. And they had all the information that how many times that I've gone through which pharmacy. And I wasn't stupid. I would go from one side of state to the other side of state and because you can't go to the same pharmacy. So I had this on my... Uh, uh, iPad and I had exactly where I should go and finally a kid uh, a young a pharmacist in uh, Willoughby, Ohio figured that out that there was something wrong and then he reported that and obviously they went through and they started to investigate and when they uh, saw that whole thing and then uh, <laughs> the funny was two detectives that they followed me for two, two and a half years I took two of them in one of the hotels to my room to do some drugs with me. You know, that's how that's how effed up I was. And those two, the, the, those two, they would not give up. And I am an atheist, and apparently I said something that it in, insulted. One of them was a Bible beater, so I insulted him, and he uh, he would not give up until he put me because I could have gotten away with that. But I'm glad he didn't because I wouldn't be alive if he didn't. He pushed everyone to say that this guy needs to go to jail, to prison. So make the long story short that uh, this mistake cost me close to, it's, it's in uh, six figures, but it's, it's not a high signal. It's, it's over $200,000 that it cost, between two to 300,000. I don't know how much the opportunity cost that I had out there that, it, that I lost, but dollar-wise, it was a significant amount. So uh, my uh, and I had to. They wanted to get me for uh, my uh, for trafficking, and I wouldn't let them to happen because I never sold anybody that they knew what I did. I was always slick. I if I went to a casino, I would just ask for the chips. They just basically they, they didn't have anything for me to tell me to put me in a position that I was in trafficking business, but. Uh, uh, we negotiated, my, not me, my lawyer negotiated back and forth instead of, the, the thing is, they found that between 2000, and it's public record, between 2006 to 2012 that they stopped this whole thing, my the psychiatrist wrote over 14,000 IC30s for me, which if you look at it now, they, they equate that back then, today is very hard. There's no way you can do that. But back then it was the beginning of, they were looking into the pills. So they equate that to actual heroin. They call it more than 25, less than 50. I don't know what it means, but it meant that, you know, I had a, I wouldn't be like, you know, 60, 70 years in jail. It was 16 and a half years, according to their calculation. And uh, now I'm about, uh, it was, uh, God, what was that? I think it was uh, two times. I was 54, 55 years old. And I'm thinking if that's the case, I'm going to be 70 before I come out, 71 years before I come out of jail. So uh, negotiated back and forth. They said that, you know, you can go to two, two years mandatory uh, and three years on probation. Uh, 
So uh, I got to prison uh, and I got lucky that there is a program, they call it IPP, in-prison program. If you go through that program, your sentence, instead of being uh, two years, three years, whatever it is, it goes to four months that you stay in uh, in prison to go through program. It's like a, a boot camp. And then four months you go to a uh, uh, halfway house, which I did. And I tell you this halfway house was, was worse than prison. It just, you know, it was dirty, filthy. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, if it was today, probably COVID is all over it. So, uh, I came out and I still didn't learn. I still was doing everything, you know, half-assed, you know, and, and minded that in 2010, I went through a rehab program and I went through the 12 steps program, but I never practiced any of those. I was good for about two and a half, three months. Uh, I never had a, uh, a sponsor. I went through those steps just for the sake of, sake of going through those steps. I never practice anything. I just wanted to, and it was because the court order. So I just, you know, check mark that to say, hey, it's over. Until uh, uh, one night uh, I went to, there's a casino in Cleveland. I went to the casino on Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon, and I'm staying there until Friday morning. Broke, didn't have anything. I'm very depressed. And uh, I was walking, you know, it was uh, February 20th, I believe. And uh, it was a cold day. And I'm walking through the whole, uh, uh, through the corridor to get to come out, you know, on the terminal tower area, then go to the bank to pick up some more money at nine o'clock. And I look at myself in the, in the window, you know, those reflective window. And I looked at myself, I said, do I want to die like this? Do I want to go out like this? Is this something that I want to do? And that was, I think that was a, a moment that I decided that I need to make some, some uh, changes in my life, which I started to do. I, uh, uh, I went to, uh, it's, you know, it, make the long story short, I went through a uh, 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 outpatient program and uh, uh, over there, they told me that, you know, you need to go to a 12-step program. And I still, I resisted that. I always said that, why the hell I want to go through a, why do, why do I want to have a, a, a sponsor? You know, what, what is that? You know, it just, it doesn't it make sense to me because, you know, I'm uh, this mind of an addict, uh, an alcoholic does not believe that, I did not believe that I have a problem. But uh, I knew that I had to do something because, it wasn't working what I was doing out there. Uh, I end up to have a, a very good sponsor. He is a traditional uh, sponsor and, uh, and he doesn't, but he was open-minded enough to let me to be who I was. We went through the steps and uh, I wanted to get through them very quick. And he's just said, hey, hold on. Uh, it took me about, you know, maybe three and a half, four months that we went through the steps. Uh, the longest time was, as most of us probably do, it was step four. Um, and by starting those steps, I finally admitted that I have a problem. I knew that I had to do something. I had to get into some action. 
and I had to commit myself to the program, which I did. And when it came to step four, uh, I knew that I had to start to really work this program. This program, for me, it's not show and tell. It's a program of action. It's not that you do it one day, one month, one year. And for me, I have to be involved in this program on a daily basis. I go to a meeting at least one or two, sometimes three meetings a day, particularly now with the uh, with the Zoom, it's much easier. For 1990, I did probably about you know 175, 180 meetings, uh, and uh, I'm glad I did them because it really took it. It put me in a different level because I saw what why people were laughing. The first I remember the first when I got to the rooms, you know, people were saying that uh, one of the things that you know the uh, gift of desperation. I said, what the hell are they talking about? What is this gift and desperation? They don't go together. That's how ignorant I was. I finally learned, yes, if, if, if I had the gift of the desperation. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And uh, uh, I learned one thing that, you know, I need to shut my mouth and I need to open my ears. And, uh, and that's what I did for uh, I always you know before someone finished their sentence I already knew what I wanted to say and sometimes rudely I would just cut them you know in the middle of the sentence and just run my mouth today I love to listen because the more I listen the more I learn and uh, rooms like this has given me hope that I can be a better person I can do better things for my life I can be uh, a helpful individual out there and one of the things that I learned, it's not just, if, if I just come to the meetings, learn, and I don't give it back up, it's like, you know, I'm a thief. I'm stealing this program. I can't just steal it. I have to give it back. I have to, if I come to the meetings, I have to make sure that I share. At least I give my experience to everyone. And when someone like Mark, who's kind enough to ask me to come to this meeting and talk about my experience, for me, it's uh, it, it's an honor. It's something that I I cherish. I am alive today that I can come here, stand in front of you, tell you what I've done, and hopefully it's going to help someone that they are not going to go through the same problems that I went through. Uh, I'm very very grateful to be alive. Very grateful. I don't have. They say the cat has uh, nine lives. I'm on my thirteen, and it's not BS. I, you know, I can go through every one of them. It's uh, it's not something that I'm proud of, but it's something that I'm very grateful that I'm alive, because there are a lot of people that they don't make it, and I'm sick. And, I'm not going to play this Russian roulette anymore. I'm done. Uh, but in order for me to say that I'm done, I have to do something about that, and doing that is a daily basic things that I have to do. I ha I'm, I'm a creature of habits. When I wake up for the first half hour, I have to do my reading, I have to do my meditation, and I have to write the list of my gratitudes. And I do it every day. And uh, I have a bunch of them, but I try every week to get rid of one of them, the one, the oldest one, and add one more to it. It's just, uh, I found a program that it works for me. Uh, Am I, do I follow everything that AA said? Absolutely not. You know, it's, it's my program. I have designed this program for my livelihood, for me to stay alive. And, uh, and I hope uh, uh, I 
uh, at least whatever I, my experience has been, it helps some people. Uh, again, uh, I learned to be grateful, be humble, be me, keep my promise, and don't be a dick every day. Try to be helpful to other people. That's what I try to do. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. Thank you for allowing me to share my experience. And uh, with that, uh, appreciate that. Give it back to your wife.